Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD. Nothing particularly significant or important. It wasn't uh, terribly dramatic. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. Lying down on the couch. That's crazy when we've got effective interventions at our disposal. What does that mean? Large effect sizes, empirical questions answered left and right. A lot of the psychedelics became illegal. A lot of the psychedelics became illegal. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Life is rubbish. For all of us. Welcome to the show. The frontier psychiatrist. Let's go. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. All that's going on here is that these people do not have a language for talking about their thoughts and their feelings. And as soon as they start talking about their thoughts and their feelings, they don't have to do crazy things. They don't have to do crazy things. It's the first pandemic of my lifetime. I was born in 1943, but I mean, the first thing that happened was smallpox. I can remember being in bed with my mother in the middle, my sister on one side and me on the other, and a doctor being sent to our house to examine us. It turned out we had chickenpox, but there was a smallpox scare. It's the 19th of March. At around 7.30 this morning, I called my mom. Most people call their parents for comfort. My mother was the biomedical editor of the reports of the Apollo space program. Uh, I called her to figure out how smart people understood what was happening. Your sister is much more concerned than I am. No, no, no. I'm actually, I'm not insane. I'm not about to play tape that's going to get me in trouble with my sister. Not at all. Lindsay, I love you. I love you. How's Calvin? Nate? Good? Great. I can't wait to talk to you any minute now. Then there was polio, but I don't, I don't remember if polio was, is, was a pandemic or, or an epidemic. I think it was an epidemic. I think it was so I have an admission to make here. I wasn't actually concerned as to whether polio was an epidemic or a pandemic. But my mom was a medical editor, so I guess I should have expected this. Maybe because most of the people living now have never gone through anything like this. More, of course, because there's so much media. Do-do-do, not making media right now. Do-do-do, no crippling guilt. Do-do-do, okay, back to mom. There wasn't media when I was young. You know, you turned on a radio, somebody turned it off. Now you can't escape the news. And I think that in itself, we all want to be informed all the time about everything. And that in itself uh, feeds this thing. And now, the big reveal. I called my mom up originally to find out if she knew what social distancing was and why we were doing it, because I figured that'd be a good proxy for does anyone understand? Let's see how she does. What 
I understand people to understand is social distancing is to say six feet apart from people. And then I say that that the, the virus doesn't have a tape measure. Nobody really knows what this is about, do they? So we're going to shoot for no information. Well, that's probably not true. Welcome to the next day of something that doesn't make any sense at all. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Name of the show. That's got to happen. Hold on. Carlene? Well, it's remotely possible. The podcast about uncertainty, anxiety, and existential despair. So, <clears throat> so to catch everyone up, if you haven't heard episodes one or two, I'm a psychiatrist. Uh, my name is Owen Muir. I work at Brooklyn Mines, and I co-founded it with Carlene, who you just heard introducing the show. We've got a whole team of people, and we take care of outpatients, people who aren't in hospitals. And to make sure we don't lose the thread from last time, I'm going to have Governor Cuomo recap the problem. Depending on what we do, uh, the, they are expecting as many as 55,000 to 110,000 hospital beds will be needed at that point. And here we are in a state with 53,000 hospital beds. All right, Owen, so we have your mom, who's a super brainiac, who's working for NASA, biomedical, Apollo, chief editor, brainiac, 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 brainiac. And if she doesn't get social distancing, that's a problem. That's a big problem. I'm Dr. Michael Cooper palliative medicine specialist, principal specialty is family medicine. Different medical specialties can be kind of inside baseball, so... Basically, palliative medicine is, the word palios means to cloak. We're using medications, MacGyvering medications to remove symptoms. I really didn't know that the term MacGyvering was going to come up in this context, but I guess that's where we're at. Being short of breath, being unable to breathe. One of the major concerns that of this virus is that it can cause acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS, ARDS, as it's sometimes called. Ah, uh, Jesus. Okay, so it's a respiratory illness, and I guess we should expect that it's going to cause some respiratory distress. Let's take a deep breath while we can and have Mike explain what that is. Breathing requires the use of your muscles, the muscles around your ribs, your diaphragm. You exhaust these muscles, and so you end up with what's called a boom and bust. You breathe really hard, really fast, can't catch your breath, you exhaust these muscles, it's terrifying, and then you basically pass out. 
Man, that sounds grim. But keep in mind, this is why we want to make room for people in hospital beds. So the doctors who've dedicated their lives to making this suck less can do their job. Because otherwise... Doing that, what you, you don't manage to breathe better, you just breathe faster. And the panic actually makes it worse. It's panic from, from an obvious cause. It's panic because, oh my god, I can't breathe. So, I'm not going to play his audio here, but he explained what his whole medical specialty does is make things suck less. So they have a medicine that reduces the distress of being short of breath, and then a medication that reduces the anxiety that comes along with being short of breath. And that way, you get out of the loop of feeling so panicked that you have to breathe harder and faster, and your body essentially gets to chill a little bit and stop doing it wrong. If you give a medication to sort of make it a little easier to breathe from a standpoint of not necessarily improving the underlying problem, but reducing a bit of the sensitivity of how short of breath you feel, you tend to breathe a little slower and you breathe a little better. The whole point of doing this show is to slow us down a little bit, get some perspective, and take a moment to think. I'm having this conversation at around 11 at night. Dr. Cooper's been in the hospital all day, and he's going to be up for hours more. And I'd like to send out an apology to everyone involved in the first several seasons of Radiolab for the following edit. Some of it, well, at this point we're looking at, there's quite a bit of literature that's been out from British Medical Journal, articles in JAMA, the most robust thing as far as out of the Lancet, 10 different sources from cases, evidence-based medicine. Oh my god, total ripoff, I know. The point of that montage was, this is a person who's staying up all night reading, learning, trying to understand how to help us with this how to help us suffer less. Now, I originally called Dr. Cooper because Carlene pointed out to me that he and some other doctors were working on medications that might help with this thing. And it turns out even the least sciencey person I can think of had heard of these ideas too. And some people would add to it hydroxy, hydroxychloroquine. Okay, so yeah, it's that guy. And I apologize, and this is not about politics. So chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. Now this is a common malaria drug. It's also a drug used for strong arthritis. Uh, somebody has pretty serious arthritis. Also uses this in a somewhat different form, but... What our scientist-in-chief is referring to here is Plaquenil. It, it is a drug that I'm actually on because it works for, as he put it, strong arthritis.
And at the risk of sounding like a smug doctor, I'm going to correct him. It's for autoimmune arthritis. It's also used for malaria. And it turns out it may be useful against COVID-19. It's been around for a long time, and it's very powerful. It's very powerful. Keep that in mind. He clearly listened to the briefing. But the nice part is it's been around for a long time. So we know that if, it, if, if things don't go as uh, planned, it's not going to kill anybody. In fairness, hydroxychloroquine has a long retinal damage, list bleaching of, of hair, adverse. alopecia, puritis, weight loss, cardiomyopathy, vertigo, tinnitus, nystagmus, nerve deafness, other deafness, irreversible retinopathy, visualitis, drug reaction and eosinophilia, drug reaction and eosinophilia, systemic symptoms. That's dress syndrome. Look, this is a thing that has a lot of side effects. When you go with a brand new drug, you don't know that that's going to happen. You have to see and you have to go long tests. But this has been used in different forms. Very powerful drug in different forms. Very, very encouraging early results. They've gone through the approval process. It's been approved. They have neither gone through the approval process, nor is it approved, though it does have strong early data and other tests there's tremendous promise and normally the fda would take a long time to approve something like that and it's uh, it was approved very very quickly and it's now approved by prescription they can handle it and doctors will handle it and to take a brief break from the brutal sarcasm that i would usually use here doctors are going to handle it and that's awesome because we've spent a lot of time learning how to handle things. And uh, I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be great. And for once, I don't disagree. And as usual, I'm going to go back to my teammate, Michelle, for some perspective. So when I called Dr. Cooper, it was actually to have him explain to me how hydroxychloroquine could be helpful. And he talked to me, but he asked me to give him one night to read up some more. And this is what he came back with. With the asterisk that this is preliminary work, we don't know yet. We're still working on it. Don't go rush out and steal this from every pharmacy. You get the drill. So after reading a bit more about the COVID-19 virus, what we understand is that some of the proteins on the virus surface cause it to favor proteins in the lungs. And the way that the virus replicates the, tends to be inhibited or limited by using two medications together, is that they interfere with the virus's ability to build more of itself. We can't all lose our jobs. We can't all lose our homes. We can't all 
lose many of the people we love and not find a way to support each other. But for right now, we just, I guess, have to get through this thing. And it's actually match day. That's the day that all of the medical students find out what kind of doctors they're going to be when they start their residency in July. Except in this case, we're all going to be the same kind of doctors. Pandemic doctors. I'm going to choose to take some solace in the dedication of the people who obsessively, constantly are trying to make things better and just can't let it go. I am a firm believer that life as it has in a beginning, life has an end. And life and death are fine. There's no fix for this. I've seen enough disease. I've trained hard enough in Queens that I know some shit you just can't fix and that's okay. But suffering for it, not caring, indifference, that, that I can't, no, no, I'm not going to sit still. And... And it turns out whole teams of medical professionals in China, nurses, doctors, technicians, were taking patients in the midst of chaos and death and making sure they got a CAT scan. Four-day interval CAT scans to see how the virus progressed in the body. And really, by limiting the severity of the disease, you're more likely to get better and beat the virus. You know, today is a new day. I'm feeling good. Yesterday was hard. Yesterday was a bit harder. Yesterday was the first time in my life I've cried during a Zoom call. Like, the other side of this coin is there's going to be this atom bomb dropping. of the people, and devastatingly so, might not make it through. But the other 98%, as a psychiatric mental health care nurse, that's where my heart is at. What happens to the other 98% who are isolating right now, which we know has its effect on mental health and wellness, and the effects aren't positive. They're isolating from their friends, from their loved ones, from their work. What is going to happen to those 98% of people after this all clears? Your sister is much more concerned than I am. Yeah, it still seems like a really, really bad idea to touch that one. End of the world or not. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Owen Scott Muir, MD, and this is the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast, the companion publication to the frontierpsychiatrist.substack.com. Subscribe 
and rate this as five stars because it helps discovery on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you happen to be listening. Have a great one.